for those of you who don't know me, there's a lot of new people here today that I haven't seen before. Uh, I'm Terry Deaver. Uh, I was the pastor in Augusta for about 15 years at First Baptist, and Corey and I have known each other, I think, nearly uh, that whole time. And so um, I'm just glad to be with you here this morning. I know Corey's off at a wedding, and I uh, just hope they have a great time and uh, safe travels uh, on their way back to join you here. So this morning we are talking uh, about, uh, I think Corey probably uh, told you last week that we are in a battle, right? He, he talked about the reality that you and I are in a battle, that there are evil forces at our work in the world uh, combating us, particularly if we are followers of Jesus. We have a target on our back because the enemy uh, doesn't want us to be out preaching the good news of the gospel to people who are lost and dying. So the reality is that we are in a war. And we have a very powerful enemy who has taken up arms to destroy us, to destroy our marriages, our families, our children, our churches, our schools, and even our communities. And so you and I have to recognize and come to the fact that we, the reality that we are actually in a war. And it's a war that oftentimes that we don't see. You know, I think the verse that Corey spoke on last week, verse 12, said, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, one of the things that, that one of the realities that you and I face is this. It's a whole lot easier for me to, angry, to be angry with the person sitting at the end of the row that I'm sitting in than it is the, the real enemy. It's a whole lot easier for me to become angry with my wife in my home than it is to recognize that if we are at odds with one another, we may have an enemy that has deceived one of us in some way or both of us, isn't it? It's so much easier to be angry at folks that we can see and take things out on them than it is to recognize that we actually have an enemy who is at work behind the scenes and is oftentimes deceiving us. And so the, the reality is that when we fight with our spouse or our friend or a co-worker, uh, when Christian leaders fall into sin, or when chur churches experience division, the reality is that we lose and Satan wins. He, he begins to gain ground. Now the, here's the thing about it though. If we're a follower of Jesus, Satan can't have our soul, can he? I mean, if I'm a follower of Jesus, my eternal destiny is set. He can't have my soul, but he certainly can wreak havoc in my life and in my witness and in my family and in my relationships. And I was thinking about this, and I thought there are two, there are two kinds of weapons that Satan uses. One of those weapons is what I call the external weapon, the external weapon. That is the world. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So there is a weapon that Satan uses. It's an external weapon, and it is the world. It is everything that you and I see. You know, as, as we're walking along our, our path of life and as we're going down that journey, there's all kinds of beautiful and fancy and wonderful and flashy things that catch our, catch our attention, aren't there? There are all kinds of things on this journey that want to pull us off this way or pull us off that way, things that, that God really doesn't want to be a part of our life, but they, they look great. They look very inviting. They look very tempting. 
And Satan uses that external world. As you and I are going through our life, we see all kinds of things around us. And, and the Bible says, don't be drawn aside by the, by the, by the eyes, what you see. That, those things that are external to you. They're everywhere. You know, we don't have, it doesn't take long if you turn the TV on or get on the internet or wherever you go, there is something there that can draw you away from what God wants you to do. You know, and one of the things that I've found in my life is that if, you know, if there's something that I think that I want or that I need, and if I keep going back and looking at that thing, and I keep looking at that thing, and I keep looking at that thing, and I keep thinking about that thing, well, pretty soon, what am I going to do? I'm going to get it, right? I may not need it, but I'm going to get it if I keep going back there. Well, the same is true with the world. As the world keeps throwing the stuff at us, if we aren't careful, and if we don't put up a shield, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, eventually, if we keep looking at those things and going back to them and pondering them and thinking about them, eventually, we're going to take the step where we don't want to go. So there's that external world that comes at every one of us. Every person in this world, in this room, is faced with those things that come at us from the external, from outside of us. But then secondly, there is an internal weapon, an internal weapon, and that is our desires, our desires. In James chapter 1, James says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You know, C.S. Lewis said there's a civil war going on in each and every one of our, in each and every one of our lives. There's a civil war going on between what God wants for us, what is best for us, and those desires that are a part of us, a part of our sinful nature. And so James just reminds us that, you know, that those desires that are within us can take us away from what God wants for us. And Satan even uses those desires. Good God-given desires can take us down the wrong path if we allow those desires to take us where God doesn't want us to go. So there's the external world that throws all kinds of stuff at us, but there's also that internal world of our desires that draws us away. James says, what causes fights and quarrels? They come from the desires that battle within you. There's a civil war going on in my life many times. When I get very frustrated or angry, I have two choices. One choice is to lash out, and the other choice is to simply ask God, help me to face this and deal with this in a way that would be honoring to you and be kind to the people around me. So what, what I just want us to recognize that we are in a war. There are battles raging all around us, and you know that. You may have been in the midst of a battle on your way here this morning. I know, I know that my wife and I, when we, were, when we were, had our kids at home, all four of our kids, we would be on our way to church. And you know what happens in the car when you're on the way to church with the kids, right? There's all kinds of battles going on. And so you have to drive around the block an extra time before you pull into the parking lot. And you pull into the parking lot and you get out of the car and you put your smile on, right? Yeah, we're all happy and everything's wonderful, but you know you just came from the car and there's been a horrendous battle going on, right? Or I know in my life that I can be, I can be so angry and so frustrated and, and just, you know, coming down on my wife and saying all kinds of, of nasty, mean things and the phone rings and what do I do? I say, well, hello, how are you? Life is wonderful, right? 
That's what happens. That's the battle that's going on. The reality is you and I recognize the battle because when the phone rings, I can be nice. But when I hang the phone up, I'm going to go right back to where I was. The reality is we, we can recognize and we can check what's going on if we want to, if we desire to. So we, what we have to do is to recognize we're in a war and prepare for this war. So today, we're going to talk about preparing for battle by putting on the full armor of God. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full... You know, Paul is saying, you are involved in a war. There are battles raging all around you. Recognize that. And he says, therefore, since you are in a war, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which... You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we have the armor that God has given us. We have to recognize we're in a battle, we're in a war, and we need to put on that armor and prepare for battle. So the first one, the first piece of that armor is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, you think the picture that Paul's using here is a Roman soldier. So as we, as we think about the armor that God has given us, we're going to look at what it meant for a Roman soldier to have this armor, because that's what Paul has in mind. That's the, the picture that he has in mind. It's a Roman soldier as he puts on that armor and prepares for battle. A Roman soldier is not going to go into battle without being prepared, without putting on his armor. Because he knows that the armor is there to protect him and to enable him to be victorious over his enemy. So for a Roman soldier, the belt was an essential piece of the armor. I mean, a belt seems like a simple thing, but a belt is an essential piece of clothing. I remember the first time that Karen and I went to Israel, uh, most of us didn't get our luggage. We got all messed up. There was a 20-inch snowstorm in New York, and part of the luggage went to Israel. The rest of us were stuck here, and we got over there, and one of the, one of the men had some pants, but he couldn't keep them up, right? Because his belt was in his suitcase, which didn't make it. And so he was wandering around, does anybody have a belt I can borrow, you know? But nobody had an extra belt, so what did we do? We ended up finding a piece of string to put it in his pants so he could hold his pants up. The belt is essential. For the Roman soldier, the belt was an essential piece of his armor because it, not, because it held the armor together. It held everything together, and then even, maybe even more importantly, it held his sword, his sword at his side. It held everything together, and it held his sword at his side. It tied all of the pieces of the armor together so they stayed in place so that the soldier, the, the Roman soldier, was ready for battle. Well, it was called the belt of truth. So God's truth, as we begin to think about God's truth, it is the belt that holds everything together for you and me as we prepare for battle. 
And one of the things that we have to recognize is that God's Word, I mean, when I'm talking about God's Word, I'm talking about the Bible, the written Word of God is not subject to change. It is not subject to change. The reality is that you and I live in a very gray world, don't we? Right now, the culture and the world in which you and I live is a very gray world, and in, in a gray world, truth changes to meet our needs and our culture, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about, I mean, I'm, I'm 62 years old. If I think back to what was truth when I was a kid growing up and when I was a teenager, and what, we, what sometimes is put forth as truth now, everything has gotten pretty gray, hasn't it? Because truth has evolved or changed over time to meet the needs of what, and by the needs, I'm saying the things that people want to do that are probably contrary to God's word, those needs, what we want to do as a society and as a people that are contrary to God's word. And so things have gotten gray because we don't want to say that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong, but there is. God's word is not subject to change. If God's word says something is absolutely wrong, then it is absolutely wrong. And if it, God's word says something is absolutely right, it is absolutely right. You know, oftentimes we think about those sins of commission, right? If we tell a lie or we steal or something like that, and we recognize that, that the Bible says those are sin, but we often forget about the sins of omission, right? In James it says, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it is sin. It is sin. So we have to recognize that there are some things that we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus that the world says, no, you don't need to do that anymore. Because truth has changed because our society may get offended by something that you or I do. So we need to have the belt of truth. In 2 Samuel it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. The word of the Lord is proven. That's why you and I have to have the belt of truth. We have to know God's word. You know, uh, uh, as we think about this, I want, I want you to recognize that Satan uses two lies in your life. And if you think about this, you'll recognize that it's true. Satan uses two lies in our life to, to entice us away from what God wants us to do. The first lie is this, as we're tempted and we're facing a decision. He said, it's no big deal. Just go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal at all. I mean, it won't hurt anything. Just go right on ahead and do it. And as soon as you step over that line, Satan says to you, look at you. Look at what a sinner you are. Look at what a mess you are. God will never forgive you. Do you recognize those two sins, that he, those two lies that he uses? On the front side, he says, it's no big deal. Just go ahead. It'll be fine. As the minute you step over the line, he said, well, look at you. What a mess you are. God will never forgive you. That's why we have to hang on to the belt of truth. So, and the second piece of that armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate plate of righteousness. Paul says, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now for a Roman soldier, the breastplate, that would cover the, this part of his body, the breastplate was a piece of armor that covered his vital organs. The breastplate of armor covered his heart, his lungs, his kidneys, his stomach, and other organs. It, the purpose of the breastplate, of, breastplate was to protect the soldier from a mortal wound. The same thing is true for you and me. My heart and your heart is the primary target 
of Satan. And we have to have the breastplate of righteousness on if we're going to be, if we're going to be safe from the attacks of Satan on our heart. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Out of our heart springs the issues of life. You know, David said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Satan wants to attack our heart, our vital organ. And we need to have that breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means right relationship with God. I need to have a right relationship with my Heavenly Father to protect my heart. To know that what? That I am loved. That God cares for me. That He's looking out for me. And He wants the best for me. Otherwise, I may be tempted to stray away to something else that looks like it might be better for me than what God has for me. So we have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, the shoes of peace. Paul says, stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, (laughs) I was thinking about this as I was working on this the other day. I was thinking, you know what, we have shoes for every activity under the sun, don't we? You think about it. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I mean, I can think like there's like three different kinds of shoes, right? Seriously, there were like three different kinds of shoes. Nowadays, if I walk into a shoe store and I begin to look around, I think, oh my gosh, what if I buy the wrong pair of wrong kind of shoes? What if I buy running shoes and I want to go walk? What if I buy walking shoes and I want to run? You know, what, what am I going to do? I look at all these shoes. I said, I don't know. I, I finally have to say to my sons, can you come to the shoe store with me? Explain to me what I'm supposed to buy. Right? You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. We have, we have specialized shoes for every activity under the sun. And I really think sometimes I wonder if I, I, wonder if I got the right shoes on for preaching this morning, you know. We have specialized shoes for everything. But, you know, these Roman soldiers had specialized shoes as well. Uh, they, had, they had shoes that had cleats on the bottom and spikes in the front. If you think about that. These were specialized shoes built and made for fighting. Cleats on the bottom and spikes in the front. Do you know why? So that when they were in hand-to-hand combat in soft, in soft soil or in mud, their shoes could dig in and they could dig in and they would have traction. And as they're involved in hand-to-hand combat, they're not going to be pushed backwards, but they're going to continue to push forward. Because they were engaged in, oftentimes in hand-to-hand combat down in the trench when it's dirty and it's mean, and it's nasty, and they got to be able to stand their ground. And if they didn't have the right shoes on with the cleats on them that that would enable them to stand their ground, they'd be pushed back. Paul says, wear the shoes of peace. We have to be ready to take the stand in the battle that's in front of us. We need to have the shoes of peace that give us traction in life. So that you and I can advance against the enemy regardless of the terrain that we're in. I mean, you know, one day I can wake up, my life is going great. And the next day I wake up, my life seems like it's in the dump, right? I got I to be fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace so that no matter what the terrain I'm facing is, I'm prepared to move forward in the battle. I don't know how many of you remember the name Tony Snow. 
he was the uh, spokesman for President Bush. And uh, he died of cancer a number of years ago now. And uh, when he was in the middle of that uh, battle for cancer, uh, he, he shared a lot about his Christian faith and how God had worked in his life. He says, you know, when we're going through life, we want smooth roads. We want smooth paths. We want everything to go great. He says, but you know what? Sometimes God wants to go off-road. And he takes us off-road. And so the terrain is going to be very different if we go off-road than it is if we're riding on the highway, isn't it? And so we got to have those shoes of peace so that our heart is at peace regardless of the terrain that we face. Whether we're on a smooth road or God has taken us off-road, we need those shoes of peace that are built so that you and I can continue to move forward in the battle. The fourth piece is the shield of faith. Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, for a Roman soldier, he had a shield. It was about four and a half by two and a half, or the size of a small door. It was made of wood, covered with leather, and then outlined with metal. So a soldier who had this kind of shield that was about the size of a small door could kneel behind that shield and hide his body. Or a row of soldiers could link their shields together and march forward with a, like a moving wall as they advanced against the enemy. And that shield was in place for a particular purpose. It was to protect them from flaming arrows, literal flaming arrows. Because the enemy would wrap arrows, wrap the end of the arrow in a cloth, dip it in pitch, set it on fire, and then shoot it towards the soldier. And when that, when that arrow hit that soldier, it would splatter that tar everywhere, and it would spread fire everywhere. It was meant to damage and hurt and destroy people. That's the same thing that Satan does when he's shoots his arrows at you and me. Satan has flaming arrows that he shoots at you and me. Arrows of disappointment. Arrows of lust. Arrows of doubt and criticism and pride. We have to raise up our shield of faith to deflect those arrows from in, in, uh, penetrating into our heart and our mind and our soul and leading us astray from what God wants us to do. I've read stories about uh, prisoners of war, uh, and I'm sure many of you have read some of the horrendous stories of some of our folks that have been taken as prisoners of war. And one of the things, that the survivors of the horrors of the captivity of, of being in a, a prisoner of war, the, everyone who survived had two things in common. Every person who has survived, two things in common. The first thing is this, they developed a mental shield against the lies. If you're a prisoner of war, you're going to be bombarded with lies, aren't you? You know the kind of lies that they tell a prisoner of war? Your country doesn't care for you. They've abandoned you. They say things to soldiers like, your wife's already gotten married to somebody else. They found someone else. They don't love you anymore. Every soldier who was in captivity put up a mental shield against the lies. And secondly, they held on to what they knew was true. They held on to what that which they knew was true. The same thing has to happen to you and me when we're in this battle with Satan. We have to raise up a shield against the lies, and we have to hang on to what we know to be true. And one of the things that we have to do is cease to fight the physical battle, but never Stop fighting the battle for the mind and the soul.
You see, those prisoners of war had to cease fighting the physical battle, didn't they? They were prisoners of war. They were subject to whatever their captors wanted them to do. It didn't matter what it was. They had to cease fighting the physical war, but they never gave up, gave up the battle for the heart and the soul and the mind. That's why Paul reminds us we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have to give up the physical battle, but never give up the battle for the heart and soul and mind. The fifth one is the helmet of salvation. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. So the Roman soldier's helmet was made of thick leather covered with metal. It protected his head, his cheeks, and his neck. It protected him from those arrows. It protected him from swinging swords and thrusting spears. It, was, it protected his head, which was very vital. So when Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation, that tells me that he's talking to Christians, to followers of Jesus. If we're going to put on the armor of God, we're going to have to be a follower of Jesus to be able to use that armor. You know, I think about this. When our kids are growing up, you have a little eight-year-old eight-year-old kid. If he puts on a football helmet, all of a sudden, what does he feel? Eight-year-old kid puts on a football helmet, suddenly he's invincible, right? Because he's got his helmet on. He's invincible. We, he has confidence that he is going to be victorious. Well, when you and I put on the helmet of salvation, we are invincible when it comes to Satan. He really has no control, no power over us. The Bible says Jesus has even been victorious over sin and death. So Satan has no power over us. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we are invincible because we have the power of God himself at work within us. In Romans 8, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah. Who can be against us? You know, I, I'm a hospice chaplain now, and I, I uh, uh, visit a lot of folks who are in a really um, very, very seriously ill, often at the, uh, times near death. And I was visiting with uh, one of my patients that I've been seeing for quite some time now. And the other day I was visiting with her, and she was kind of down. But she looked at me, and she said, but if God is for us, who can be against us? And I said, man, where did you hear that? She said, you told me. I was like, oh, <laughs> you were listening. I forgot. I didn't know it. But I, she had been down, and I said, if God is for us, who can be against us? She's hanging on to that in the midst of death, facing death, ultimately. Sometimes the simplest things we say can have a tremendous impact on people. And then there's the sixth one. We're about to, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly. I don't have any idea what time it is, so. Are we running late? Oh, it's 11.05. What time do you get out? 11.05? <laughs> well, you can't leave yet because the sixth one's the best one. So, It's the sword of the Spirit. Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I want you to think for a moment. The first five pieces of the armor have something in common, a common characteristic. And Karen, you can't answer this question, as I told her the answer. So, yeah, put your hand over your mouth. The first five pieces of armor have something in common, a common characteristic, different than the sixth one. Does anybody have a, have a hazard to guess? 
defensive. You are correct. The first five pieces of the armor are defensive. They are defensive. The only offensive piece of armor we have is the sword of the Spirit. The others, if you think about everything that we've talked about, they're protecting us, protecting us, protecting us, yeah? Now, the, the shield could be seen possibly as a little bit uh, offensive if you put, a, put them together and you march forward as a line. But yet, you march forward with that shield in front of you to protect you from the onslaught that whatever's coming against you. They are all defensive. They're great. You need them. But the sixth one is our, our offensive weapon. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work, to move forward in the world. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. The other pieces of armor we looked at weren't alive. They only had the power that the, that the soldier wearing the piece of armor was able to put into those pieces. But the word of God, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I think sometimes that's why we why it's so hard to sit down and read God's Word every day, because the writer says it exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. It may push us to make decisions that we don't want to make. So here's, I have a series of questions for you. We talk about God's Word, but do we really believe it? We claim allegiance to God's Word, but do we read it every day? We protest to hang the Ten Commandments in schools and courthouses. But can we recite the Ten Commandments? Do we know what they say? We cry for prayer in schools, but do we pray in other places? A sword that is stored away in the closet will do us no good when we're under attack. It's got to be available. If the sword is going to be of any value and to be of any use to us, it must be available. So Tristan, you guys can come on up if you want. It must be available. This is what I want to say to you about the Word of God. Read the Word. I know that sounds simple. It sounds simplistic even. But read it. And I say every day. Read it. Even if it's only one verse, read the Word every day. Meditate on the Word. Study the Word. Memorize the Word. Remember, the Word is your sword. It's your only offensive weapon in the battle that you are engaged in. All the other pieces of the armor, as important as they are, are defensive. The Word of God is offensive. It's moving forward. I was talking to someone the other day, one, another one of my patients, and, you know, uh, when someone comes down to the end of life, they want to make reparations in their relationships, 
and the struggles that they've had with kids and brothers and sisters and moms and dads. And I was talking to this person and they were thinking, man, how, how am I ever going to be able to get through this? How am I ever going to be able to make any difference? And I said, you know, the one, the one thing that folks can't keep us from doing is what? Praying for them. Praying for them. I said, read God's word over your relationships. Pray over this relationship. They may reject everything else you do, but they can't reject your prayer. You can't. They can't reject the, the spoken word of God. If we speak God's word over people, they can't reject it. And the Bible says it is powerful. It is active. It is alive. It is our offensive weapon. If you, want to be, if you want to be an offensive person moving forward in the world, moving forward in your faith, then the one thing that you have to do is take up your offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. So I want to say to you, we are in a war. The battle is raging all around us. And the stakes are men and women and boys, and girls, and marriages, and families, and children, and communities, and schools, and churches. Churches. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So I just want to say, take up your offensive weapon and move forward. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us. We do recognize that we are in a battle. Some of us in this room recognize it more than others, that we are literally in a battle for our very lives and our soul and our spirit and our heart and our mind. And I pray right now, Lord, for us to take up the full armor, every offensive piece, every defensive piece, I mean. Take up every defensive piece and use it to the full. But God, instill in us, call us, convict us to take up our offensive weapon, the word that is alive and active and powerful. Help us, Lord, to take in your word and allow it to change us and mold us to be the people you want us to be in the world that we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand as we sing um, this last song. Into my-